Good morning, everybody. Good morning to you who are joining us online today, live, or whenever you join us online. We are in a series, and what is the name of the series? Oh, you're so good. But you're wrong. (laughs) No, you're right. Deeper. One of us is right. Deeper. If you're a guest visiting with us or you're joining us online for the first time, you can get any of the previous messages. Just go to our website, our app, or Facebook page. You can download them. You can watch them online. So we are in a series called Deeper, but we've kind of subdivided that series. Last week I began um, sort of a sub-series called The Peace Process. And we did part one last week, and we're going to do part two today. Now, we are going to do, we're going to go deep today. So strap in. (laughs) The world needs peace, doesn't it? But the problem for the world and our need of peace is us. We're not very good at it. I mean, when you look at the pattern, it stretches all the way back to Adam and Eve. I mean, the very first thing we did is we broke our peace with God. Two people living in paradise. Can we mess it up? You betcha. The first two children. One murders the other. It's not a good start. It's not a good record. And then it just carries on all the way through. Lamech, I think, was in chapter 4. He's grandson of, or great-grandson of, of Adam. Another, another murder. And it goes on and on and on. And there, and there are a number of reasons for this. Now, if, if you didn't get an outline, you need an outline. Anyone not get one? Raise your hand if you need one. We'll get one to you. Everybody's got one. You don't have to run around this morning, sir. Oh, there is one. There you go. <laughs> the bad girls. Oh, my goodness. Online, if you go to the messenger part of Facebook, you can get the outline there. So I want to start off with the problem, the barriers to peace. First one is us. We are broken. We are broken. Romans 8.22 says, For that we know that all of creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. When we broke peace with God, we broke ourselves. We broke all of creation. We are broken. We're not very good at peace. Second, there are other players in this picture. Satan and his liege of demons. He is the deceiver. He is the liar. And we are easily deceived and we are easily led. In John 8, 44, Jesus is saying he has always hated the truth. He's talking about Satan because there is no truth in him. When he lies, It is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He makes right seem wrong and wrong seem right. And then number one and that number two, can I get the back screen up, please? Thank you. Then I know what you're all looking at. The back screen. (laughs) Number one plays into number two. We're easily manipulated. We're easily played, which brings us to number three. We have a limited perspective. We don't see the big picture. We see our piece of the picture. And sometimes we're praying for the very things that God has done. 
Oh God, would you stop this? And God's going, I'm not stopping it. I started it. I'm doing this for a purpose. Sometimes we believe we're doing good, but it's not the reality. A a great example of this is um, Peter in Matthew 16. Jesus has just explained to the disciples what's going to happen. He says, I'm going to get betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be falsely accused. I will die on the cross and I will come to life again. And I'm doing this so that you can all be saved. And this is what Peter says. It's in Matthew 16. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. (laughs) I'm looking forward to the day I meet Peter. (laughs) Seriously, you took Jesus aside. Hey, Jesus, come on over here, bud. I got something to tell you. (laughs) So he reprimands Jesus for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. And look at, look at Jesus' response. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. We see what we read in the news, the stuff that gets fed to us, and we pray often according to, to what we feel is the right thing to do, and we're asking God to do things, and God is saying, no, you don't see the big picture. You don't know what I'm doing. We have a limited perspective. We think we're doing good, but we're not doing good sometimes. We're actually adding to the problem. Now, here's the sad reality. We will not have peace on earth until Jesus returns and sets everything right. We will not have peace on earth until Jesus returns and sets everything right. It just isn't going to happen. There's a scripture for that, actually. I couldn't put it up there because I couldn't fit it on the screen. It's called the Bible. It starts with paradise and it ends with paradise. In between is all this mess and brokenness and everything that we see that we live in. Starts with paradise, ends with paradise, this. And we're in the middle of this. And this is not going to stop until we get to that. And Jesus will bring that to an end. However, that doesn't mean that we cannot have peace. Jesus warned his disciples and ultimately us in John 16. We looked at the scripture last week. I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart because I have overcome the world. There will not be peace on earth. There will be many trials. There will be many sorrows. He says it. But we have a hope. Jesus has overcome the world. And his time will come. That is our hope. In the meantime, that's what I want to talk about this morning. The meantime, right now. No matter what happens in the Middle East, it's getting ugly over there. No matter what happens in Ukraine, no matter what happens in China, no matter what happens in the next election, No matter what happens to the economy and even the struggles within that we have personally, our health, our relationships, our finances, no matter any of that stuff, we can have peace. 
We can have peace in our Lord. How do I know this? Jesus said so. I believe him. On John 14, he said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. No matter what happens, you can have peace. Things might not go the way that you want them to go. I mean, Jesus said it. We're going to suffer pain and hardship. But we can have peace in the Lord. But there's a process to that peace. We talked about this last week. Back to our base scripture. I put it right in your outline there. Romans 5, 1 to 5. Now, we're going to do the same as last week. I've outlined the process in the scripture. And as you can see, I've made it easy. It's bold and underlined. As I read the scripture through, when we get to the bold and underlined, that's your bit. Okay? Got it? Romans 5, 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by... We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our... Well, that was pretty weak. Because of our... There you go. Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confidence of salvation. And this... And this will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God us, because he has given us his Holy Spirit to fill his hearts with his love. It's in there twice. Faith is in there twice. Hope is in there twice. Love is in there twice. It's like he wanted to make sure we got this. So here's the secret. We gain peace when we live in faith, hope, and love. So I'm going to say exactly what I said last week, or roughly what I said last week. As Christians, with this hope, we don't live for today. We live in the hope of what is to come. We are kingdom livers. We we may be earthly dwellers, but this is not our home. We are kingdom livers. We live for something bigger and better than this. We don't live for the temporal. Therefore, the temporal should not affect us in the same manner as one who does not have that hope. We live for the eternal, and that should change everything. It changes how we think, how we feel, how we live. It changes how we respond to the troubles and the trials in life. We're not immune from them. But how we respond to them is different because we have a hope. It changes our reason for getting out of bed in the morning. Lord, what do you want to do in me and through me and to me today? How do you want to use me today, Lord? And we live as though tomorrow is today. We live for what is beyond. That is our hope. And we live it out in love. And this is as important now as it's ever been. You know, for me personally, and I I hope for many of you, my motivator for living in faith 
hope and love is not my tomorrow. I'm absolutely confident of where I'm going. I'm not worried about it in the slightest. My motivator for how I live is those who are not certain of their tomorrow. Who don't know what their tomorrow is. And second, for those who remain here when we're gone. Those who inherit the faith that we pass on. You know, gosh, I I mean, what kind of world are they going to face? Not only do they face difficult a difficult geopolitical landscape with everything that's going on, but they face a morality crisis like we've never seen before. They face a society where Christianity is in decline and is increasingly marginalized. You know, church attendance in the USA and the Western world is in massive decline. It's almost in free fall. Praise God, we're not experiencing it here. In fact, we're experiencing the opposite. Thank you, God. But that's not the norm. I was at a meet- <laughs> this, this blew me away. I was at a meeting recently talking about churches. And the average church, you know, the average church in the USA is this size. We're absolutely rock average. Because we live in the metroplex, we see all these great big mega churches, and you start thinking that's normal. It's not normal. This, this is absolutely normal. But I heard in that same meeting a statistic. There are 500 Southern Baptist churches in Texas without a pastor. And the reason there are 500 churches without a pastor is because young people aren't going to seminary anymore. They've kind of walked away from Christianity. So we've got all these churches without a pastor. We are in a war. But it's bigger than the conflicts that we're probably praying about. It's a war for the hearts and souls of people. And it's easy to get distracted. Because it comes at you at every angle, doesn't it? I mean... Oh, it's happening in Ukraine. It's happening in Israel. It's happening in Africa. The economy is going to collapse. And oh my gosh. And it gets our attention. And it should get our attention. Because we need to be praying about all of these things. But we need to keep our eye on the real purpose and the real answers. David, when he faced Goliath, he wasn't interested in politics. It's kind of interesting. I was reading through it this week. The Philistine giant taunted the armies of Saul, Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 8. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? You got something badly wrong, this guy. Send out your main man. We will fight and the losers will serve the victors. So he proposed a battle of human strength and human might. And as long as the Israelites looked upon the battle in this manner, fear reigned. We can't beat them. They're too big. But when David stepped up, he brought a different perspective with him. He he, he said, this Philistine isn't challenging the Israelites. He's challenging the armies of the living God. He didn't talk about Saul. He didn't talk about politics. He talked about God. He's challenging the armies of the living God. And when face to face with the giant, here's what David said in 1 Samuel 17. 
David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, it's easy to read that passage of Scripture and go right to the battle that's going on in Israel. Now, oh, Israel's going to win the battle. God's on their side. But that's a geopolitical struggle. We need to pray for Israel. But it's not what you think. It's funny. I did a lot of research this week, and I'm not going to bore you with all the numbers and statistics. I was just looking at the church and what's going on in the church. And I thought, well, what's happening in Israel? And it was an interesting statistic. 29% of Americans attend a weekly service. That was the statistics from 2020, before COVID. 29%. 27% of Israelites attend a weekly service. They're moving away from God faster than we are. If you pray for Israel, pray for that. And that 27% is going to a synagogue and they've not counted Jesus. He's not in the picture. 2,000 years, God has been trying to get their attention. And I think he's still trying to get their attention. You need your Messiah. I sent him to you. When will you turn to him? That's the real battle. We are in a war for the hearts and the souls of people. And we win the war for souls and hearts when we live in faith, hope, and love. Look at David's words again. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. Faith, hope, and love bring peace. But it's a peace in the heart. It's not a peace that the world gives. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. It defies logic. It's a peace that you can have in the midst of all of the terrible stuff that's going on. Now you're either nuts or you're filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going for the latter. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why we can have peace when everybody else is running around in fear and scared about what's going to go on, what's going to happen with the world. I don't know what's going to happen. I do know what's going to happen with the world. I have a hope that is beyond this world. A hope that is lived out in love In the present day. So let me ask you a question. What's your peace process? What's your peace process? Faith, hope, and love. It begins with faith. Faith is trusting in the Lord. It is demonstratable. As I was sitting there, I I was thinking about this. Our faith has to move from the abstract... To impact. 
So often we think of faith as just something we believe in, but faith is so much more than something we believe in. It is demonstrated. It is something that you do. You live in faith. But faith has a cost. And I've got three of them up here. First one is going to cost you your comfort. If you want to trust in Jesus, he's going to take you to a place of action that is outside of your comfort zone. If it was in your comfort zone, you wouldn't need any faith. It's got to be outside your comfort zone for it to be an act of faith. Simple thing, baptism. You know, we baptized four people in the last couple of weeks. I don't think any one of those kids that we baptized was jumping up and down saying, Oh, I can't wait to get out there. They're all like... (laughs) But they stepped out in faith. It took some action to stand up in front of everybody and get baptized. I got a couple of people that are dealing with that right now. Sometimes it's a conversation. God will open a door to a conversation. And you know darn well that God has opened that door, an opportunity to share what you believe or why you believe. And you sidestep the conversation because you don't want to go there. What if they ask me a question and I don't know the answer? Or what if they think less of me if I stand up for what I believe? Opening up your home. It's a cost. I want to use my home for for your purpose, God. Gosh, that means I've got to clean it up. Invite people in. I can see people looking at each other. Don't look at each other. Invite people in. It, it, it feels uncomfortable. It's easier to meet in a restaurant, right? Let's just go meet in a restaurant. That's okay. The, the most powerful conversations, I think, happens when you're sitting around in the living room. Or you're sitting over the dinner table and you're talking. But it costs you your comfort. The second thing it costs you is convenience. Trust in faith is inconvenient. It's going to cost you time. I give up... Me time for God time. That's inconvenient. I want that time for me. Stay in bed and drink coffee on Saturday morning. Watch a football game. Watch Pastor Mike on the TV. It's going to cost you money. That's an inconvenience. Faith costs you money. Jesus, God, asks you to be faithful with your money. Now, for most people, financial faithfulness is not about what you can afford. It's about what you are prepared to give up. I want a big truck. I want the best TV. I want the best streaming package. I want the convenience of eating out or or buying in. God says... Settle for a Volkswagen Beetle, go buy an antenna, cook dinner, invite someone over, and come join me in my work. That's inconvenient. It might cost you your talents. That's a scary one. Well, I don't know what I could do for God. I can't do anything. I'm not any good at anything. Those other people, they can do stuff for God, but I'm no good at doing stuff. When God calls you into service, and he has called every single one of us into service, he equips us to serve him. 
in some manner. And it's not just coming to church. It's about living out your faith, serving him, using the gifts and the abilities that he's given you to do. And my experience is, is that when you step out and, and you inconvenience yourself, your time and everything else, God will give you gifts and abilities that you never dreamed that you had. And all of a sudden, he's using you for things that you can't do. And the reason he uses you for things that you can't do is so that he gets the praise and the glory. It's certainly not you. It's inconvenient. And third, it will cost you commitment. You stay the course no matter what. You stay the course when it's good. You stay the course when it's not good. This is all about endurance and character. And it's right in the middle of our passage of Scripture in verses 3 through 5. 3 through 5. Free, I can't help it. <laughs> I don't hear it till I listen to the recordings afterwards. I say free. 3 through 5. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Anybody rejoice when they run into problems and trials? Can we have a vote? Oh, God, I got up this morning and I was praying, could you send me some problems and some trials? I really need to rejoice today. Are you kidding me? So what does it mean? We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Okay, I want to go the course. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. There's a pattern here. When I go through trials, when I go through troubles, and I'm praying to God, and I'm asking God to be with me, and I stay the course, even when it's easier to get off the course and say, I don't know what's going on, God. Why didn't you save me? Why didn't you do this? Why haven't you done this? It's no fair. And God just says, stay on the course. I'm with you. I will strengthen you. And when you find that strength, it doesn't come from you. It comes from him All of a sudden, it's like, wow, God. That's my God. Confident hope of salvation. I got nothing, my God. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So we keep on praying for you. Asking our God to enable you to live a life worthy of his call. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Then the name of our Lord Jesus will be honored because of the way you live. And you'll be honored along with him. This is all made possible, Alpha and Omega. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and Lord. Jesus Christ. He is the alpha. He is the, be- he is the beginning of your faith. He is the perfecter of your faith. Faith has a cost. But it's worth the cost. When you choose to live in faith, God shows up. Every single time. And the more faith and the more risk that you are willing to take to step out for God, not stupid stuff, real stuff that God is calling you to do, the more he shows up and the stronger your faith is, the greater your hope is, 
The greater your love is because, my gosh, my God is with me, and the greater your peace is. David was not afraid of the giant because he'd already experienced God. Going back to 1 Samuel 17, he says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. I don't care how big he is. I don't care how big his sword is. I don't care how strong he is. He's not fighting me. He's fighting my God, and my God is bigger than him. And your God is bigger than anything that you face. When you act in faith, God shows up and your fear of the future turns to hope. Because you know, no matter what happens, God has got it. That doesn't mean he's going to rescue you. It means he has us in his hands. I am his. He is mine. No matter what. And when we are confident that he has us, our hearts are filled with his love and with hope and with confident faith and we have peace. It all builds on one another and that love begins to overflow to other people and people start asking questions. You know, what's with you? Everybody's going nuts with everything's going on. You seem to have a peace. Not only do you have a peace that you're just, I like you. Just something going on here. I want what you've got. Where'd you get that from? You can't buy it. And the faith brings greater hope. And the hope brings greater confidence of God's love. And the greater confidence of God's love brings greater peace. It just keeps building upon itself. When we are truly living for him in faith, hope, and love, we will find peace peace. I want to close with this. Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not what you need to do that gets in the way. It's what you're not doing that gets in the way. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. Ask and you will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock And the door will be opened. But be aware. Knocking leads to an act of faith. Because God's going to do something. What's he going to do? He's going to open the door. Now you have to do something. You can stay on the doorstep all your life. Or you can go through the door. And that gets scary. You must go through the door that God opens to find peace. And when you've gone through the door, you keep going. Here's what I know. When I decided to trust God with my treasure, I don't worry about my money anymore. I I don't worry about it. I bought a car this week. (laughs) I'm sitting at the car dealership and he's asking me, how much do you earn? I don't know. (laughs) 
And I don't know. Because <laughs> I don't care. I gave it to God and God said, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I always used to be rushed and harried with my time. Now I'm rushed and harried with my time. But I don't care anymore. Because I love what God has called me to do. I don't think I could spend my time on anything better. It's like, thank you, God. And I know when I gave my, my talents to God, when I asked God, you know, where, where do you really want to use me, God? And God told me the ways that he was going to use me, which were my biggest fears. I'm going to use you to talk. <laughs> no. I lay bricks. I don't talk. I build things. I don't talk. I remember the first time I've shared this with you sometimes. First time I ever preached. The week before. This is up in Canada. And we had a sharing time in church. We had a big circle. The pastor made us make a big circle. And everybody was sharing good things that God was doing in their lives. And God was doing so much wonderful stuff in our lives. And I shared some of it. And I went up to the pastor afterwards. I said, his name is Scott. I said, I could have talked for, we, we could talk for an hour on the wonderful things that God is doing. And I, and I shared some of the wonderful things that God said. And he said, that's great. You're preaching next Sunday. And honestly, I can remember it was a solid pulpit, wood down here. I was so glad because my legs were shaking so bad. I could feel my pants vibrating while I was up there. (laughs) I remember training to learn how to share my faith. Actually took a course to tell pe- to learn how to tell people about how to have Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And then the pastor took us out. We did a visitation. And uh, we were in a team of three of us. And he gets talking. And, you know, I think that he's the pastor, right? <laughs> and we get talking to this person. They had come to church and they filled out a card and they'd asked for a visit. So we go over there and he starts talking about Jesus and, you know, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the, and the guy says, well, no, I don't know really. He says, well, Mike, why don't you tell him? <laughs> and we had learned this. I got it all wrong. I don't think I did anything that we had learned. And we got to the end where I asked the question, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the guy said, Yes. I just about fell off my chair and said, no, 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 that was all wrong. No, you. (laughs) Ask, seek, knock, go through the door and keep going. You will have faith. You will have hope. You will have love and you will have peace. God will show up. The question, and I'm going to end on the tough question, will you show up? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
And you call us. You entice us into this relationship with you. And it's a scary relationship. We like to think of the relationship with you as one of comfort and cozy. And so many of the songs we sing these days are are all about the comfortable, cozy God that we want great big Santa Claus to give us a hug. And you are that God. But you call us to so much more. You call us to a life that is so much beyond the life that we would settle for. Father, give each one of us, you already give each one of us, Father, may we respond to the call of your Holy Spirit to live in faith, to have a hope that surpasses understanding, to live in love, that we would have peace and strength with you. And Father, if there's one here today that doesn't know you, has never come to know you, hasn't begun that journey with Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would begin it today. That's step one of faith, and it's so simple. It's simply asking, Jesus, and you can pray this quietly yourself, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Give me the faith to trust in you. I want to be yours. And if you're a person here this morning that you maybe have prayed that prayer a long time ago, but you haven't been living in faith. You've been living in fear or comfort or apathy. Maybe this is your day to come and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to live fully and completely for you. I want that faith. I want that hope. I want that love. And I want that peace. Come and fill me again and strengthen me. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Miss Alex. Can I get the people who are collecting the offering to come forward, please? The offering is a way for us to.